0: quote that I wrote years ago and see years ago students when I was young I had great eyesight and I preached from this little Bible now I can hardly read the words to it but you know 25 years ago it was easy I even had a Bible smaller than this when I went to camp but I opened the last page and I want to give you just some gold nuggets of truth of where we're going today you think about do you live overflowing with thankfulness? Or do you live and often you find yourself complaining, murmuring, griping, unhappy? Well, this is what I wrote down about 30 years ago. The page is even, you know, yellowish and it's kind of crinkled. It says, if we only do what we've always done, we will only get what we've always God. We desperately need a fresh vision from God of what it means that Jesus Christ is the Lord God of our life. Vision deposits in our heart desire, dedication, and determination. We need a new vision. Vision is God's blessed gift to His people, enabling us to follow and finish His will for our lives because we see Him better than anything else. God's vision gives us the ability to see what God is doing. God's vision gives us the faith to join what God is doing. God's vision gives us the courage to overcome whatever challenges we face. God's vision gives us the hope to endure and finish God's call. May we be and do the best in the worst of times because we see God. Now this morning, as you look in Acts chapter 16, you're going to see a person you would not want to trade places with. Let's read about him. And yet, he had this vision that nothing was more important than him seeing his God. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, and he's speaking of Silas, the Apostle Paul, and Dr. Luke. As we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of evil and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now question, when you're being dragged, what does that mean? That you're not walking. So what has happened to Paul and Silas? They have gotten into a fight. They were just going to prayer. And what's happened to them? They've had the stuffing beat out of them. And now they're being dragged. We don't know by their hands, by their head, by their feet. They're being dragged Now, have you ever started to come to church or go to prayer meeting and someone stop and beat you up and drag you off? And where they're taking them is to prison. Has that ever happened to anyone in this room? Anyone want to trade places with Paul and Silas? I want you to crawl into their skin this morning. Let's keep going. So they're being dragged off into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, that's the officials, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. Were they disturbing the city? They were just going to a prayer meeting. So what's that called? It's called being lied about. It's called being treated unfairly, unjust. They didn't deserve that. Keep reading. They advocate, they kept lying, customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And now the crowd joined in attacking them. And underline attacking them. What does attack mean? If you're already being drugged, that means if you're on the ground, what's happening if you're being attacked? You don't reach down if someone's laying on the ground and you want to inflict wounds on them. You don't reach over and punch them. What do you do? You kick them. I want you to see. They're out to kill Paul and Silas. This is a mad dog crowd. And so they're attacking them. Keep reading. And the magistrates tore the garments off them. Do you think there's any kindness in their heart? They may be stripped naked now. I don't know. But this is a wild dog crowd. And it says they tore their garments off them and they gave orders now. They're not dead yet, so what are we going to do? Beat them with rods. They are a bloody pulp. And when they had inflicted, underline that, inflicted many blows upon them. This is not a pretty sight. They threw them into prison. Why? Because they couldn't walk in. You know what throw is when you beat a body to a pulp? You pick him up by the legs and the hands and what do you do? You throw him. So often we read the Scriptures and we don't get into the, the scene... Get into this scene because something's about to happen that blows my mind. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, underline that, keep them safely. Because the jailer, the greatest way he knew to keep them safely was to put them where he put them. Read on there. Having received... This order he put them into the underline it, inner prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks who knows anything about roman history when you're in the inner cell of the prison there is no prison reform in first century when you were thrown in the inner cell part of the prison. We would call that the dungeon. There's no even candlelight. And in the inner prison, in the dungeon, you know what lived in the dungeon of the prisons? Critters. Critters that sound like this. You know how I know how critters sound the first church we served in Texas Ronnie and I we would drive down from seminary in Fort Worth and we'd go to Meridian Texas and and they called us as their youth and music pastor and they said we have this we found this delightful little one-bedroom cottage and it looked very nice they had just painted it the year before. A very nice cottage. And Ronnie even got excited about it. Oh, we'll just kind of have like a weekend honeymoon every weekend. And we moved in that cottage that we came down our first week. And we, went in, and we didn't even notice that, that right across the street is this, you know, 40, 50-foot granary that they brought all the grain in. So as soon as we turned the lights off that night and got in the bed, I was 22, uh, she was twenty. We lay down and we had prayed and we heard that. And we both looked in the darkness and I said, what's that? And then we started hearing and the house was filled with rats. We didn't stay another night there. And we didn't sleep any that night. We didn't know where to go. So we stayed and we turned the lights on. And I got me something that if a rat jumped on the bed, I could hit it. But when you're in prison and your feet are in chains, you are defenseless. Now, what would you be doing if all of this would have happened to you? See, I want to drive home a point to all of you today. Throughout God's Word, over and over, He tells us that we should overflow with thankfulness. If you were not here last Sunday, just look at your message notes. We saw the how to be thankful. That is overflow with thankfulness. And as you look at your notes, all the answers are in there. You see, overflowing with thankfulness is because of God in your life, not because of your circumstances. And until you learn that, you will live a miserable existence. I'm not talking about do you love Jesus or not. So many people love Jesus, but they gripe and complain their whole life. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about have you trusted Jesus to be your Lord. I'm talking about have you come to understand that the Christian life, look at number one there, is for Jesus to be in control, first love Him with all your heart, trust and obey Him. And to walk into Him is to walk in His sovereignty and His sufficiency. But if you don't walk in Him, what do you live in? You live in crisis. And we saw last week, when I'm living in crisis... It's because I'm living in compromise to obeying His Word. And when I live in compromise to obeying His Word, because I'm in conflict with God, I'm in conflict with everyone else. But I'm blind in my sin, and so in my conflict with God, I just blame people, get bitter at people, refuse to forgive people, instead of living, as we saw last week, number three, rooted and built up in Him. And we use Psalm one there. That when I know God better than anything else, I'm like the tree planted by living waters that I bear fruit and my leaf never withers, even in the deserts and storms of life. And then number four, established in the faith. What does that mean as I'm rooted and built up in Him? Well, I want you to take your ink pen and draw a line from delighting up there to compromise. See, establishing the faith comes when I am delighting in the Word rather than compromising the Word. And then draw a line from meditating on the Word to conflict. See, those are opposites. When I'm established in the faith, I'm meditating, I'm thinking on God and His Word and His promise and His provision for my life, moment by moment, rather than living in conflict, saying, I know what it says, but I just can't do that. And then draw a line from planted to confusion. See, opposites. I'm planted deeply in the Word. I know God's Word better than I know life. And so I don't live in confusion. And then he finishes the verse in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Since you were taught this, don't deceive yourself. Do it. See, folks, you expect... Whoever teaches, whether it's Philip, whether it's me, occasionally it's Andy, when you come to Bible studies, you expect us to teach you the Word of God, don't you? And you even brag about that. Man, in our church, we teach the authority of God's Word. But did you know if you come to a Bible study, if you come to a time like this, and you hear the Word of God, and you go out and you don't practice it, you know what happened in your life? Deception. Deception. And what does deception mean? It's the Greek word that means to give a false appearance. It means you think you're really in the groove. But if you're not living it each day, Paul says, hey, you're deceiving yourself. Now that was the how-to last week. Let's look at the incredible blessings when we learn to put the Lord first to let Him take control of our life, to love Him with all our heart, mind, so we thank humility each day and we thank His authority in our life. Here are the just five blessings. I could give you 5,000 blessings. By the way, there's thousands, over 5,000 commands and promises in God's Word. So I could preach 5,000 messages just going to each of those promises or commands and say, all right, let's see the blessings there. But we're going to look at just five blessings that are in this passage, Acts 16. Number one, write it down. Under Roman numeral two, when we overflow with thankfulness and then circle those three words, because of God. Because of God. And I want you to know, the reason why I can preach this message so good is I have wasted so much of my life not being thankful when God didn't do what I wanted Him to do. In fact, that's the number one reason why pastors resign the ministry. It's the number one reason pastors quit the ministry. It's why people get divorced when they're Christians. It's because somehow God didn't do, or my spouse didn't do what I wanted him to do. And all of us say, oh me. Not amen, oh me. See, I want you students to learn, God wants you, if you have God in your life, He wants you to overflow with thankfulness. When you're a 7th grader and the ninth graders are making fun of you. When you're an 8th grader and you think the 7th graders are puny and you can't wait to get to high school. And when you're a freshman and you're again the little wimp. And when you're a 10th grader and you're not sure where you fit. And when you get out of high school and you're going to college... And when you get out of college and you get your first job and think about how you can go through your life and ever say to yourself, if this would just change, I'd be thankful. No, we're talking about overflowing with thankfulness because we have a vision to see God. That's what's here. Look at Acts 16, verse 25, and write it in, number 1 there, under Roman numeral 2, When we overflow with thankfulness because of God, we enjoy an unshakable confidence in God. Now here's Paul. He's had the tar beat out of him. And see, he probably went to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so now it's midnight. So that means probably he was laying in the prison unconscious. And he wakes up eight, nine hours later what would you be doing? I want you to know I haven't arrived to live this message consistently like I want to yet. So I'm preaching it to me. But I know this, I am learning that I don't have to have my pity parties quite so long as I used to. I don't have to complain to God when something really breaks my heart and disappoints me or my expectations are not met as long as I used to. See, that's pressing toward the mark. So wherever you are today, if your pity parties last for months, let's cut it down to one month, okay? If you just stay discouraged and defeated and distracted for years, if you just stay on the court, just get it down to six months, okay? You only have one life. And the reason why God wants us to abound with thankfulness, you'll be no good to God and no good to yourself and no good to anyone else if you don't learn to be thankful. How many of you enjoy being around someone that gripes and complains all the time? Everyone lift their hand. Even if you're the worst griper and complainer in the world, you don't enjoy being around another one, do you? Because God didn't create you that way. Well, look at verse 25 there. Look what Paul and Silas were doing. They were, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. I guarantee you, if they were complaining, the the Scripture would say that. They were praying. They had their heart fixed on God. See, that's vision. When you can see God better than you can see life. They were praying and they were singing hymns to God. The worst of worst of worst had happened to them. And I can hear him singing. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Can you hear Him? How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God do you see it can you hear them it's midnight and you're gonna see that not only the prisoners heard them probably the prisoners had only heard prisoners say one thing when they were thrown in prison, and that's what? Curse the name of God. But they hear them praising the name of God. You know what I've found in my life? My strongest witness is when it is unshakable on the darkest days of my life. I'm going to say that again. That's good enough to write down. My strongest witness for the Lord Jesus is on the darkest days of my life if I overflow with thankfulness. And I can just just tell you, to God's glory, to God's glory, the greatest times of me reaching people for Christ is on dark, dark days. When, by his working in my life, I overflow with thankfulness. Before my brother died 16 years ago of cancer, he said, little buddy, I was his younger brother, he said, you preach like you've never preached before. There's going to be people from all over the world that are going to come to my funeral because he struggled with cancer for three years and before that heart disease for 12 years. So everyone knew Doug's life. And there were over 1,000 people, and we had over 20 adults saved that day because I got up, and I bragged on Jesus for 35 minutes, and I gave an invitation, and all of these men and women that realized, man, if that guy can preach with his brother in a casket right there, God's real. You want to change people around your life? You just start overflowing with thankfulness the same time you got tears and pain coming down your cheeks. Well, look at the second one, and we'll read on there in verse 26. Write in, God mightily moves in us and around us. And after you write that little sentence down, God mightily moves in us and around us, circle in us. And just write this sentence down. We're talking about transformation here. See, God is always more concerned about what He does in us than even around us or through us. Now, young ones, you write that down if you don't write anything else, because I didn't understand that. Till I got to be about 35. God is more concerned about what He does in us than through us or around us. Now, Paul understood that. Or he wouldn't be praising the Lord in the midnight of his life. See, if you don't understand that God wants to do a work in you to change you, whether or not He ever changes your circumstances so you can give Him praise, you'll miss the Christian life. You know, I I won't call any names, but there's a family sitting in this place this morning that this week they had something they totally did not expect. And it shook them up real bad. And praise did not come out of their mouths. What happens when life goes in you? Well, I'll tell you what it goes, same thing in me. We immediately get what? When something's out of our control and it's not good. We get, starts with an F. Frustrated. Now, if you don't give that frustration immediately to God, what do you become? Resentful. If you don't give that resentful to God, what happens next? You become bitter. If you don't give that bitterness to God, what happens next? You become what psychologists call unresolved anger. Then, when you're angry, you have to do what? You have to blame someone for your anger. It is a downward spiral. But notice verse 26 here it says, After they're singing praises, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. See, remember what I said in number two? God mightily moves in us. And guess what? He does move around us. If I ask you today, just because you're here, even if you haven't come to trust Christ yet in your life, don't you want God to mightily move in your life? And we'd all say amen. Don't you want God to mightily move around you? See, that's called miracles. That's called deliverance. And we'd say, yes, 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 yes. But here's what I want you to know. The Apostle Paul had the prison doors opened here, but he also knew a time when God didn't deliver him. Just write down in your margin there, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and that's where he pleaded with God to remove a thorn from his flesh. And God didn't because he said, I want you to learn that I am more important in your life than anything I do around you. See, if you're just a Christian that gets excited when God does a miracle, you'll miss the whole Christian purpose. Now, let me just ask you, think about how you commonly come in this place every week. Do you come excited about the Lord God that from the first notes sung, You have your focus on God because you've had your focus all week on God and you are praising, you are loving him, you are saying, God, you are good, God, you are great. You know how a lot of us come to church, and by the way, if you had a fight today, I'm glad you came to church. But you shouldn't have a fight 365 days of the year, right? If you had a bad week, I'm glad you came to church. And I've been to church where I couldn't sing a note because all I was doing is hurting All I was doing is weeping. I know how that is. And when you feel bad, come to church. But it shouldn't be ten years at a time. See, what if? What if? Seen those commercials? What if? I'm giving you a what if as your pastor. In a few minutes, Mark's going to talk about just where we see God taking us. And I'm giving you a what if. What if we as a people of God every day said, you know what? I don't want to miss life. I want to overflow with thankfulness. I'm going to make Jesus first in my life. He's the Lord of my life. I understand He saved me to get over myself. And, And thankfulness should be just flowing out of me. So what if every week we started practicing the presence of God and praising Him, and when we come in here, we would sound like a hallelujah chorus. I told the first service people, because, you know, I can look right at them. They're close to me in the chapel. I said, man, what happened to you on the way to church? Surely it wasn't that bad. You look bad. And they all started laughing. What if I'm lost today? Let's say I'm a lost man. And if you're lost in here this morning you're going to say preach on pastor that's what and i and i come in the lost and usually lost people, you know get to the back they sit back here and they come in here now let's say all of you are saved but i just come in here and i just i pull in right here and i said well lost people they don't know the songs and they don't have the presence of the holy spirit in their life so there's no praise in their life to god so what do they do they just look around They just look around. And so I'm looking around and I just catch over here and all you guys, if you're just standing there looking like dipsticks, I say, they must have had life as bad as me this week. That's how I feel too. And I look over here and you guys just look like you're mad. I say, I know how they feel. I'm mad too. And then I get up as a preacher and talk about how good Jesus is and I say, somehow there's a disconnect here because this pastor's all fired up and excited about Jesus and it had not happened out of here. And so after the service is over, you know what I'm going to do to you folks? I'm going to say, Tell me, are you visiting too? Because you look like I feel. And you say, No, I've been here for 19 years. I say, I've got to get out of this place. Something doesn't connect. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? See, we say we're surrendered to be a dynamic community of faith. Think about it. Somehow we've got confused in our culture that a lot of our people in our church, you know where they are today? They're at a ball game. Nothing wrong going to a ball game. But they've gone down there to see the Lambs play the 49ers. Oh, I'm sorry, the Rams. (laughs) And we say, world, look how Jesus has changed my life. And they get down there two hours early, have a tailgate party, go in there. They're yelling and screaming. And think of us. By the way, any of you that want to have a tailgate breakfast, before you come to church and get here at 7.30, we'll greet you in the Lord before we come into practice because you're so excited you can't wait for the service to start because you're praising Jesus. Am I crazy or is this what this book talks about? Well, keep reading. Keep reading. i got to finish here. See, if you read verse 27 and 28, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, because Roman law said, man, if they escape, it's your hide for their hide. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here, because he knew Roman law too. See, write it down. Third great blessing of overflowing with thankfulness. We enjoy an eternal perspective. See, what is it? We've said it many times. What are the two things that are eternal in life? God's Word and people. And Paul knew he could run because God had delivered him, but Paul knew what was eternal. And look in the next verse. He says, hey, we're still here. Don't do yourself any harm. See right in number four. The world sees our faith and many are saved when we have an eternal perspective in life, when we have an unshakable confidence in God, when God has truly transformed us from the inside out. The world sees our faith and many are saved. Just write down three words there under number four, faithfulness, fruitfulness, and fulfillment. And that was the Apostle Paul's life. And I, I know every one of us, we want our life to be described, faithfulness, fruitfulness, fulfillment. Well, just look at verses 29 to 32. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now often at this point, preachers will debate, was he saying just saved for his skin? No, I believe he was talking about saved by the Lord Jesus because he had heard Paul singing praises in verse 25. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit had done what the Holy Spirit does, convict men of righteousness and sin and judgment. And he fell down on his knees and said, I need Jesus. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. See, Paul knew what he was talking about. He didn't say, well, we're going to stay here and you won't get killed by Rome. No, he knew he was talking about getting spiritually saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. he write it down, number five, thankfulness always holds hands with joy. And just write the one word down. To, to live that kind of life It's called surrender. I surrender, Lord Jesus, you're my life. It's what Nikki was portraying in her baptism. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I want you to write one more thing down. Just write Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And all of a sudden my brain said, double check that. Philippians, it's right, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon. Those are the four letters in the New Testament that are called prison epistles. That means Paul had been beat up and thrown in prison, and yet he didn't have a pity party, he had a praise party. I encourage you this week, read those four letters. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, and count the number of times that thankfulness and joy hold hands. Next Sunday, we're going to go into the Christmas story. And I'm going to ask you this question so you can think about it all week. How in the world Did Joseph and Mary trust God when nothing made sense to them? It's because they had an unshakable faith in the Father's love for them. Now, you think about that. An unshakable confidence... In God's love for them. And that's why over and over when Paul writes about the love of God, he uses the word, I am persuaded. Now that's the way King James translates it. NIV translates it, I am convinced. And New English version translates it, I am sure. Next Sunday, we're going to present you the 2013 proposed budget. And we thought it would be helpful if we had one of our elders come and share with you what that means in our lives for what we see God doing and what God has prepared for us for such a time as this. Because we don't want you just to receive that budget and look at the bottom line and ask questions. We want you to see, okay, how am I going to be a faithful steward? So you listen to Mark Tom as he shares with you. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning,
1: church family. Good to be with you. Um, I had uh, two things real quick that, that the Lord put on my heart just, as, just even here just as the service has started, and I just want to respond to those. Um, where is Nikki McNair? Is Nikki still here? Who is back? Nikki is here. Honey, I just want to affirm you. Um, the first thing is that it just struck me. Nobody's Bible just falls open to Ezra 10 4. Sugar, I affirm you for being in God's Word and for pursuing His best for your life. That is a picture of a life that God is working through. Now today I get the privilege, I'm, I'm very thankful. Pastor's been talking about thankfulness and um, this place has been such a blessing to me and to my family and I'm thankful to have the privilege of standing up here today and getting to share some things from a vision perspective that I feel that the Lord has placed on the hearts of our leadership team. But the other thing that struck me as I sat here this morning, and I didn't share this in first service, I wish I had, I want to let you know that if you're not careful this morning, as I share, it is quite possible that what you will hear is about things going on around you in this place. And that is not what this is about this morning. This is about what God wants to do in each of the lives of all of you here and those who were here this morning and countless others who are not here today. And in doing that, he will produce an overflow that will look like great and mighty things happening around us. Now, I have two scriptures today that I want to use. So if you have your Bibles, if you could first open up to what is called Isaiah's Commission. This is Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. We're not going to start there, but I want you to find that one first. And go ahead and just put a placeholder there if you would. And once you've done that, I would like you to turn to the left two books to the book of Ecclesiastes in the third chapter. And I would like you to follow along with me as I read. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything... a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, when you read that passage from Ecclesiastes, who in here believes that God works all things in seasons of life. Who believes that? Who's seen that happen in their life? We move into and out of seasons. We're constantly growing. Well the reason that I use that scripture this morning is because what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what we feel as a leadership team is an exciting new season that the Lord wants to usher in here at West County. And this morning what I'd like to do in advance of presenting our budget next week, which pastors already referred to I would like to talk about three very special areas of ministry development that we want to emphasize next year in a number of different ways including investment the first area we have decided and are unified as a leadership team that it is time in 2013 to call an associate pastor Now, this associate pastor role is intended to be a man of God with a heart for our people here, who the Lord will raise up at the right time, who will come specifically to partner with pastor as a helpmate in leading our people, in leading our staff, in shepherding, in counseling, in encouraging and in growing the ministries here at West County. Why? So that we can do the Lord's work to an even greater effectiveness. Now, we think that if we're able to call this associate pastor, and it's the right man of God, which we believe God will raise up at the right time, it will have three effects. The first effect is that it will produce incredible encouragement for pastor as a helpmate at a season when, as many of you know, pastor who has served here so faithfully and continues to serve so faithfully and give so much of his life is being asked to do even more. He's writing a book. He's talked about that. He shared with our elders things that the Lord has put on his heart as he's traveled to Costa Rica and to other places with a heart to still reach more men and women for God. We feel that an associate pastor could come alongside pastor and further the efforts of both of them and we're excited about that the second thing that we believe could happen is that from a staff perspective this individual could really really focus additional time in growing up ministries in encouraging and supporting peace, people and in that way help pastor even further and help our elders and the last way that we think it would be a great blessing is just to our church family to all of you if it is the right man of God and we believe that God will raise that person up this is the first area of ministry development that we're unified about that you'll see in next Sunday's budget that's presented okay the second area is children's ministries we spent a lot of time over the last number of months really really looking at from a children's ministries perspective particularly in the wake of Vicky and Michael Shattuck leaving we stood up in front of you several months ago we talked about their departure we made it known that we would be looking and working with a search committee to replace her but I want you to think about a couple of things we've been dreaming in this area okay what if what if we made such a diligent search for the right man or woman or combination of people with the right level of experience in reaching children the way they need to be reached and their families in turn? What if God had that man or woman or combination prepared for us to do great things? And in addition to that, what if we had a different approach, an approach that when people walked into this place and they took their children downstairs, they would say, wow. I want you to take a look at something. Can we show this video real quick?
2: When people come in, we need the space and we need all that, but what they remember and what they're like, that was great, is really what Worlds of WoW has done. From all the murals to the playground to the scenes to all the stuff, that's what sticks, at least in the, in the minds of the kids.
1: I just kind of like them all. It's just a great way to have fun. It's just so invigorating when you walk in the classrooms and there's all the fun stuff on the wall. It's just really cool that people can understand God more.
2: When families come through, the first thing they do, they see the walls, they see the interaction. It is, how can you not be happy? How can you not smile? Hello. <laughs> but We spent every single day that they were here going. Wow.
0: The
1: thing that really sold us on Worlds of WOW, I think, was the fact that they could do a custom job for us. They were willing to totally design around what we wanted. We felt very, very comfortable with them. Uh, They came, they sat down with us, they spent time with us.
0: Reagan was wonderful to work with. He came and
2: met with our group, came back several times and met with us. They did exactly what they said they would do. You know, what's your budget? What do you what's your what's your vision? And they married those together. And they were willing to take what
1: little ideas we had and then expand on those and say, oh, how about this? Let's do this. Design the artwork give it back to us and say, what do you think? We were able to make whatever changes we wanted. Very, very easy to work with. And um, we were very pleased with the end product. What I really discovered was is that the building can be a viable tool for uh, touching the community. Every child that came in here that's a member of our church and every parent that came in here, they were going, wow. And we knew
2: that they were going to go back out to the community and they were going to say, you've got to see this. We wanted the kids to come in and learn right off the bat.
1: We take children to the hallways and teach from there if we're covering that particular
0: story that day. I like the one over there, the Goliath one, how he just, he's big and then you see David over there and he's just small.
2: And it does make it a lot easier for, you know, the the children to invite their friends when they can tell them, hey, I want you to come see what's going on. The kids relate to it, and it's just an automatic taking to it. We were
0: looking for a company that could do a turnkey approach. (laughs) Could provide the indoor playground area, and also the paintings and murals that we were wanting.
2: This... Wow, just speaks that in such volume that your that your church really loves kids and families. I like going down to racing sites because you go real fast.
0: Can you close your
2: eyes? You know, we understood that not only do we want to reach this generation, but we also it's a great tool to reach, you know, mom and dad. And if mom and dad feel real comfortable that junior is in a great situation, then they can kinda say, Hey, that's gonna be good and they can go worship or go into the Bible studies.
0: On opening day, we had a little boy standing in front of Daniel on the lion's den sharing the story with his grandparents, and the grandparents were standing there crying because it was such a meaningful time for them. It says something to the person who comes onto your campus
2: that's never been there before. It says, wow, they take this very seriously. They value what my child learns about Christ. They value my family's experience. They value how they impact my family while we're here i would definitely recommend them and if we do it again if we have to build another one we'll use them again
0: and they were just just as sold out as we were to the final product being all that it could possibly be they were just phenomenal
1: time to to show that particular video which we we really talked about showing that this morning but This is meant to be a representation of an idea. And the idea is that reaching children and reaching families can look and feel a certain way. In the same way that we've seen so much experience under Philip's leadership down at Zoe, reaching teens up into their college age with a certain style is just something that's relevant, and Christ uses that. The Spirit uses it. So while we've not made any commitment in this picture, we're working through different ideas. We wanted to take a minute to show it to you today because we've been dreaming about what it could look like under the right leader or leaders to take children's ministry to a whole other level here. And we're very excited about that. The third area, the third and final area I wanted to touch on, we are going to recommend in the budget that we pursue and bring in right experienced woman of God to lead our women's ministry on staff here at West County we're very very excited about this more and more as a leadership team we've talked about the special and unique way that women of God need to relate to other women and we believe that if we are patient and focused and we've done some diligence over the last eight weeks or so with um, a number of our women lay leaders to begin to talk this process to get feedback regarding attributes of this individual the characteristics and the nature of the work we're very very excited about being able to recommend this position as well we've had a great history here many of you know kay bartle and you know the lives that were impacted by kay really in a season of ministry when she was here we feel like god in this area wants to really expand and go beyond that so we have a great commitment okay all right turn real quick to finish turn to isaiah i said that this message was not about things that are going to be going on around you but about things that as pastors, has been teaching out of thankfulness seeing who is in control who is in charge the lord there's an outpouring and god works in new and amazing ways okay in Isaiah six, Isaiah's commission it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices the doorposts and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's impossible to gaze on the face of God and not be changed. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This week, folks, in your quiet time, as you are praying about what God is doing in this place, think about what he wants to do in your own life. And when the Lord says... Who will go for us? We're praying as a leadership team. You will say, send me, Lord. Send me. We're excited about things that are going on. We're excited to present a vision to you today of some things that have been confirmed in our heart. We're thankful people, are we not? We've been blessed here greatly. Praise God. Thank you.
0: You ready? You saw Mark raise his hand. Are you ready? I like it in teaching elementary classes and all the little students that you know they want to answer, so they raise their hand. Who's ready? Now, for all of you that are not ready, the next service will be starting in 15 minutes, okay?